Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the Decent Garner Law Firm, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hansen. Good morning, Yuma. This is Life, Death, and the Law. I'm attorney Adam Hansen. This is 560 AM KBLU, and I'm in the studio today with the one and only Mr. Russ Clark, turning buttons, pushing dials, and doing all the fancy things he does to keep us on the show. And then we've got uh, a special treat today. Sean uh, is in the studio today with me as well, and that, that's rare that we're both on the radio at the same time, but we thought it was important, especially for this Memorial Day, um, to talk about, number one, the purpose of Memorial Day or how it came about, and then also we're going to get into some issues like Roe v. Wade. That's really popular in the media right now, and we wanted to give our opinion about that. And also, we want to talk a little bit about the border issues that are going on. So we've got a lot to cover today, but we're going to get, in, get into it right after Sean talks about Memorial Day. Yeah, so every national holiday, we like to do this. We like to go into the history of the holiday and discuss why it exists so we can properly observe the holiday. And Memorial Day is to honor all those who gave their lives serving in the U.S. military. Uh, It was originally known as Decoration Day, and it began shortly after the Civil War when it ended in the spring of 1865. So, Congress didn't actually pass a law law declaring it to be a national federal holiday until 1968, and then it was officially known as what we know it today, Memorial Day. So a couple of things about Memorial Day is that there is a national moment of remembrance that takes place at 3 p.m. local time for each Memorial Day, and it's customary for Memorial Day to fly the flag at half-staff until noon and then raise it to the top of the staff until sunset. Now, um, when you're when you're raising and lowering the flag to half-staff, um, the proper way to do it, just uh, in case you want to learn a little bit of flag etiquette, is to when you raise it up, you raise it all the way to the top, and then you lower it down one-third of the staff. So it's kind of a misnomer half-staff because you only lower it down to a, a third of the staff. And... Um, you raise it quickly and you lower it slowly. So that is proper flag etiquette. Uh, proper etiquette for Memorial Day, do's and don'ts. Uh, do not wish anybody happy Memorial Day because we're not, it's not a joyful, glee-filled um, holiday. What it is, it's a day of remembrance. Um, it's a day to honor our troops and, and their sacrifice. So just as you wouldn't uh, say, you know, Happy Grandpa's fifth anniversary of dying, you wouldn't say Happy Memorial Day. Uh, Another don't is don't confuse Memorial Day with Veterans Day. Don't go to uh, every veteran and say, hey, it's Memorial Day, so um, thank you, and and today we're honoring you. Veterans should be thanked every day. Memorial Day is specifically set aside for those who laid down their life, gave the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. Don't disregard its importance. Um, honestly, we, we want to have gatherings with a purpose and and remember who gave, or yeah, the, the, the men and the women that gave their life in service for our country. And uh, backyard barbecues, days at the lakes, great, but just bear in mind, you should talk about it. You should talk about how grateful you are for the freedoms that we enjoy because others were willing to sacrifice their lives. Most important, 
don't forget it exists. Don't just think of it as another day off work or a day where there's no school or a day where there's a big sale at the furniture store. Um, think of it as a day that our nation has set aside for a somber recollection of what it takes to remain free. What I loved about the flag etiquette that you said was uh, you you raise it quickly, lower it slowly. Is that right? Correct. I think that's really neat. I uh, Two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go to my grandfather's funeral. He served in the Air Force during um, the Korea conflict. And so we were able to witness the military uh, pomp and circumstance for his funeral at the at the burial site. And it was super humbling to watch these servicemen from the Air Force. They removed the flag from his casket, and as one one held it at one end, and then they, as tradition has it, they would they fold it. And the one that folded it, it, it was just so precise, and it was really fun to watch, um, and very humbling. And at the very end, when he gets it all folded up, the one service member that was originally holding one side of it as he folded it towards him that he ends up holding the whole flag in a triangle as you traditionally see and then the one that had just finished um folding it he salutes it and to me it was it's just a really a neat way to say goodbye to my grandfather and to honor his service in in the conflict that he participated in many years ago and um, it reminded me sean when you said you raise it you raise the flag quickly, lower it slowly, because everything was precise. Everything these Air Force servicemen did was precise with that flag. And the way they held it, it was like they were almost holding his body. Like they were, it was almost a representation of their fellow servicemen. And it was very, very impressive. There's a few things that uh, make me emotional. I'm very reserved in my emotions. Um, I can talk about spiritual issues, I can talk about family issues, I can talk about life and death, and and hold my composure very well even without trying. In fact, I'm a little bit envious of those who have more emotion to to feel and therefore express. I'm a very logical person, and so I see things analytically. But when I witness that ceremony in particular, that gets me emotional. I have to fight back tears every time I see that. Yeah, it was it was impressive, and um, I still in my mind. I mean, I can see it happening, and, and obviously, yeah, I, I became emotional because it's just a great tribute to uh, what we have inherited as American citizens. Uh, these members of our families that have gone into harm's way for us and for the freedoms that we are now continually fighting for, even in, uh, today, and upholding our Constitution. So as you celebrate today, um, Memorial Day, keep that in mind, why we're actually, why we have the day off, and why we are doing what we're doing. And like Sean had mentioned before, you know, it's th- this isn't a day to say, hey, happy birthday, or happy, uh, you know, Kwanzaa, or whatever. This is, uh, this is Memorial Day, and it's a day of remembrance. And so that, uh, we ought to remember those that went before us um we coming into this show sean you and i were talking about the recent issues of roe v wade and how that has come to the forefront of the national media primarily because of the alleged leak of a possible opinion coming from the supreme court in a pending case Um, well the supreme court has affirmed that it is a 
an actual opinion. That it's, it's the draft of an opinion. It's the first draft of an opinion. So now there is no more question as to whether or not it's authentic. The question is whether or not the draft will um, stay true to the, the, the current holding in the opinion or whether it will be changed significantly. Now with all these riots and protests out there, I guess more protests than riots, um, I think that would make the judges or justices more resolved and I don't think it would have any uh, effect on their opinion that was expressed in the holding so if I was a betting man I would say this opinion is going to come out substantially uh, the same as it is in the draft maybe the wording is a bit different but the outcome should be the same I think uh, you know when this first happened my first opinion was I'm always one that I'm not a conspiracy theorist to say or anything like that but I don't consider myself that but I well, do you are if you're a conservative oh yeah sorry about that yeah I forgot um, but I do consider the factors I, I, I want to know the motives you know behind actions I don't think it's very I don't think it's very um, telling of a situation to just go into it and, and think that this situation happened without any orchestration or there isn't some deeper meaning behind things that happen so in this particular case of a leak of an opinion that of uh, that of a very controversial case Roe v. Wade whether you're a conservative or a liberal Either side of that, Roe v. Wade is a controversial issue primarily because it's got this juxtaposition between a woman's rights to choose whether or not to have an abortion and the state's right to say you can or you cannot at a certain point uh, or else if you if you do, you're going to be criminally liable um, for aborting that, that life. And so you have these two opposite positions and in the whole background of that, you also have the national interests versus the state interests and this all came about because roe v wade was a texas case that uh, went through the appeals process back in the 60s and ultimately landed in the supreme court um, for the court to decide and both sides of of uh, the political spectrum dis they both agree that they are not in favor of roe v wade wade meaning uh, the the liberal argument is such that they believe that it didn't go far enough and then the conservative uh, meaning it didn't go far enough to allow abortion beyond what it already does. Because Roe v. Wade, to just give you an idea, if you're not familiar with the case, it basically created a, a fundamental right. Of, Constitutional right. Mm -hmm, a fundamental right to an abortion if you're within a certain time frame. And I like to think of it, as I look through the arguments, um, through the opinion of the court, I think of it in my mind as a sliding scale. On, from the moment uh, a fetus, or not even a fetus, an embryo is incepted or, or concepted to when it's actually born, physically born out of the mother's body or out of the womb. The sliding scale is such that from the very beginning, because of Roe v. Wade uh, at conception, the, Roe v. Wade does not recognize uh, conception as... Um, allowing are a person and so that embryo up until a certain point usually it's about the first uh, trimester it, you're able to get a legal abortion in most states um, and then once you get into the second trimester of, of the uh, pregnancy now you're in in territory where it's going to be determined by the physician and the mother and whether or not there's health issues involved for the mother and what that's actually turned into 
as of recently is not so much physical issues where if the baby physically comes out of the mother's womb that could kill the mother it's more of and that does happen but i think i would argue now more so than ever it's more of well it might be a mental trauma to the mother and that's a that is a a detrimental harm to her and therefore under roe v wade we can do the abortion now um and that's kind of what so it's this more of sub it's more of a subjective standard uh in my my opinion but roe v wade established this sliding scale of when the mother has a right to an abortion and as you move further and further towards birth it becomes less and less of a right for her until it ultimately becomes illegal for her to get an abortion at a certain point unless there is uh, a medical documented reason for her life to be saved or there uh, there's issues like that severe just from you're right incest or uh, d the fetus is disformed severely and unlikely to live or have any reasonable um quality life, of life quality yeah. of life there it is yeah and i think that's uh, going back to and you and i talked about this a couple weeks ago sean when we we're discussing this case in in brevity but we were we were talking about how um what is this what does the state care what does the government care about a baby inside a, mo a mother's womb what do they ultimately care well, the Supreme Court has enumerated that on occasion. They say, well, the government does have an interest in that particular fetus. They want The government wants it to come to fruition because if, if it is actually born, the potential of that individual growing and then getting a job and becoming a, a taxpayer is good for the government because now they have more taxes coming in. And that's the actual one of the arguments that the government uses as to their right to say, well, this this uh, person needs to come out of the womb so that we can tax it. Well, okay, I think that's a very cynical way of looking at it. Um, I think that the the government is looking at it from a constitutional point of view, is saying uh, we recognize in the Constitution the inalienable rights of all citizens of the United States. And anybody that's born in the United States or a naturalized citizen has um, protected under the Constitution these inalienable rights. Now, all human beings have inalienable rights, but only the Constitution protects them. And so, uh, here in, in as the law of the land here, and so, when does that person become a person inside the mother, and when does it have constitutional rights? And so, what I think is very interesting is the, the primary argument in both Roe v. Wade and in um, the subsequent case, uh, uh, Casey versus Planned Parenthood, they use the 14th Amendment of due process and equal protection under the law as the, the some, you know, kind of nebulous reasoning for why the the woman has a constitutional right to an abortion but in in reality what that says is each person has a constitutional right to life liberty and protection of property and that's where we're talking about the baby so it actually i think goes in contrast to what everybody is arguing that it's the woman's right to have ability to control their own body we're not we're not saying the woman doesn't have the ability to control her own body everybody has the right to control their own body but now when another person comes into existence they are a citizen protected under the Constitution and they have these inalienable rights of life 
and that is what we're trying to protect. I, I love that, and that's actually the the conclusion that I came to coming into this as I was prepping for this to have this discussion. That's I was speaking with my wife about this issue. I wanted to know her opinion, and ultimately that was my conclusion as well. It really comes down to the definition of when is a person a person, and when that person is is a person, then they have those rights, just like I have a right as under the Constitution as a citizen of the United States. That that uh, fetus or that embryo once it's defined as a person in my mind then they would have those same constitutional rights but now you have you have the baby inside of the mother who's solely dependent on the mother and her health and um, and so now you have her interests and you have the baby's interests both having to be prote- protected under the constitution that's where it becomes a little mucky we'll talk about that in just a minute we got to go to break this is life death and law 560 a.m kblu <laughs> More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the Decent Garner Law Firm. Welcome back to Life, Death, and Law. This is 560 AM KBLU. Um, I'm attorney Adam Hansen, and I'm in the studio today with the one and only Mr. Russ Clark. And then we've got uh, Sean. Uh, Garner with us today, and this is kind of uh, a fun a fun thing because Sean and I usually aren't on together. We try to flip flop. Well, I'll go on one Monday, and then he'll he'll go on the other, and just to protect our time. But uh, we felt like this would be a fun issue to talk about on on air because of the recent uh, enlightenment of Roe v. Wade issues that have that have been uh, plastered all over the media because of the the recent leak of an opinion of the Supreme Court. A draft opinion, I should say. Prior to the break, Sean was telling us about um, the the case history of Roe v. Wade and and uh, some of the conclusions that the court came to, and and we were discussing during the break our personal opinions. And really, really to me, it comes down to like I mentioned before the break, Sean. Uh, I'm with you. Uh, when is a person a person for legal purposes? And um, I think Roe v. Wade. They mention in the opinion that under the under the Fourteenth Amendment of the Constitution, they didn't find that a person was a person until it actually the baby is actually born, till it comes out of the the womb. That's under the Fourteenth Amendment. But they also found that there is a fundamental right to an abortion up during the four, first trimester of of that fetus's life. And so they didn't really take an opinion there. And I think, like I mentioned before, both sides of the political spectrum are, are conflicted on this. The liberals' ar- argument is that an abortion should be an absolute right up until um, birth of that, that uh, child. And then the conservative view is no, once there is a quickening, it used to be called quickening, that's what the law was settled on from, from uh, English common law back to Roman law. An abortion... This and abortion quickening, is for those that don't understand that term, because when I first heard that term, I thought, is that when the spirit enters a body? But quickening, in by definition, is when you feel the fetus move in the womb. Right, and and what's really interesting about Roe v. Wade, and I, I reread this opinion. You know, we we studied it in law school, Sean. This is not a new thing to us. You have to go through Roe v. Wade for for a lot of the constitutional. Uh, foundational things in, when you go to law school. And so Roe v. Wade is a huge one that we have to study. And, and so this wasn't news to me, but it was good to reread it uh, in light of what's happening today and, and to remember where the court 
went and where they came from. And I thought it was actually not a bad, I thought it was a good opinion for historical reasons because it, it laid the foundation historically of this abortion issue. And what the court alludes to, not even alludes to it, they, they outright say, this is not a new issue. Abortion was contemplated back during the Roman Empire. Uh, prior to that, with Plato, um, during the Hippocratic era, where um, medical science was really being uh, promulgated. Um, and so this has been happening for hundreds of years. And back then, the court said that abortion was frowned upon, that it was not um, acceptable. We, uh, for, so my personal opinion, obviously, is is grounded in Judeo-Christian views, meaning I, I subscribe to biblical views and, and going back to the time of Moses when he came down uh, from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, one of those commandments was, Thou shalt not kill. So uh, aborting a fetus, is that killing a person? You know, is the, is the fetus a person? When does that happening? And, and so the court alludes to this idea of quickening back in historical times in, in English common law or during the Roman Empire. Quickening was a word that was used, and like Sean mentioned, that typically meant the movement of the fetus. And, and once that happens, then you know it's a person, and therefore you weren't supposed to kill it. Medical science has shown even greater uh, ability to determine whether the fetus is viable or not. And now or preserve a fetus and the viability of a fetus, you know, earlier and earlier at earlier stages, whereas, you know, obviously medical science has advanced since the 1973 decision. Right, absolutely, and even up until that time. So most of these abortion laws were put into place in the 1800s when, when an abortion was detrimental to the mother's health, fatally so, meaning at the time when these abortion laws were put into state law um, all around the United States, most of these states, it was, it was because one of the arguments was because we wanted to preserve the life of the mother. Medical science at that particular time it was iffy. It, when, when you performed an, an abortion on a woman, it was very, very uh, challenging, and it, was, it could put that mother in harm, and, and it most likely would because of infection or because of a botched abortion. Uh, and so, rightfully so, that was one of the arguments of the, the government at the time, the state legislatures to put these laws in place for abortion during the 1800s. Well, by the time of Roe v. Wade in the late 1960s, medical science had advanced such that an abortion was not detrimental to a mother's health, generally speaking. I mean, they could perform an abortion without harming a mother. So that government argument is out the window now. And, and the Supreme Court talked about that in Roe v. Wade, that that argument of the government is no longer a valid argument because medical science has proven that we can keep a, uh, a fetus alive longer, we can perform abortions uh, without harming the mother in most cases, and therefore that argument's no good anymore. Um, I think it all comes down to when is a person a person, um, and and that is it the quickening or the movement of, of the fetus? Is it a heartbeat? Sean, you were talking about this the other day, we were talking about this, and, yeah. and you mentioned the heartbeat thing. Um, we uh, The heartbeat starts at eight weeks, traditionally. You and I have a lot of experience in this area because we have six kids. You had six kids, I have six kids, so we had to go through this process of, of pregnancy quite a bit. And nowadays, you can genetically touch, 
uh, test the embryo for mal malformities. You can you can do oh, in my case, and I, I think you did this probably too, Sean. Not only can you do an ultrasound, but you can do a 3D ultrasound. So you get to actually see 3D and move around and see the actual face of the baby, and you get to see the fingers moving inside the mother's womb. So our technology now has advanced to the point where we have made discoveries such that, whoa, it's not just when the baby moves. They 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 are developing, they're forming, and they can react to when I push on my my wife's tummy and on the ultrasound you can see the baby moving away or you can see the baby doing different things that before 19 the late 1960s early 70s we didn't know because we just didn't have this advanced uh, technology and medical science had not advanced as far and now we do have those things so how does that how does that relate to where we are now yeah and I want to make a quick correction in there. Um, I said eight weeks is when the heartbeat is generally detected. It's six weeks. It's eight weeks when um, generally the fetus begins to move and hence quickening. Um, so, yeah, th that's the question. And honestly, I don't think we're ever going to get a national consensus on that question. And that is okay in a democracy. Now, for me, I have religious beliefs about this, right? Um, and my religious beliefs are very conservative. I believe that um, unless you're willing to rear a child, you shouldn't engage in consensual sex without protection because if you conceive, I think, in, in my personal religious beliefs, I think it's wrong to um, abort or terminate that uh, fetus and you need to follow through with being a parent and do the adult thing and raise that child. Not only support them financially, but in every different way, spiritually, mentally, physically, provide them the support they need. Uh, if you try to make a parallel with equal rights here, man and woman, um, if a man engages in consensual sex and um, results in conception, what decision does he have with regard to that baby and the support that that baby is going to receive after that point, right? After that night or day or whenever it is that the, the event occurs, um, it's, it's truly 100% up to the woman. She has the right to determine if she's going to take the Plan B pill and terminate um, the embryo. She has the right to go on and, and get a early term, uh, first trimester abortion, or in some states, a late um, term abortion. And if she d decides to deliver that baby, then the state has an interest in requiring that he pay child support until that child is 18 years old. Now, different states have different rules and laws on that, on child support, but um, you can't in Arizona. You can't just say, "Well, I don't want to support that child," and that was just you know a drunken night of partying, and a child was conceived, and and you know what? I don't want to um, be responsible for the consequences of my actions. You can't do that. If the child is yours, you are financially responsible to support that child, unless you both give up your parental right to have any say in that child's upbringing and the court agrees that it's not going to be a burden on the state and um, the resources of the government or the mother for you to relinquish your obligation to pay child support. And so 
we've, we've got really a two-way street here. The decision is when you engage in consensual sex. And we've gotten to the point where women um, want to have total control over their body. Well, that control starts when they make that decision about sexual intercourse. And there is always the argument, well, what about rape or incest? Um, sure. I, almost every state that I've ever read a statute about has exceptions for rape and incest. And we want to take those cases on a, and, and look at them separately. But we're not talking about those cases. Literally, if you went on a statistical level, even by um, the statistics from Planned Parenthood, it's less than one in a thousand abortions are related to rape or incest. And on a st if you're looking through percentages one through a hundred, that's a zero. So we're really talking about people that entered into consensual sex and now do not want to um, have a child because it's an unwanted, is the term now, pregnancy. It's a crimp in their style, right? That's what I would say. It's going to alter their daily um, activities in such a way that I just, I don't want that. You know, I don't want to have to be responsible for this, that, or the other. Um, and I think that's a kind of a sweeping brush to be painted, but I think um, there are lots of reasons why um, people might consider an abortion um, and I, I, I don't think it's just because of irresponsibility all the time. I think that's a common argument but I don't think it is irresponsibility. Maybe uh, my personally I've always wondered I, I didn't, luckily I didn't have to deal with this particular issue but now because science is, has advanced to the point where you can test an embryo um, during the course of that, that growth in the mother's womb and determine whether or not it might have Down syndrome or determine or not whether it has um, deformities that might alter it, it, that particular child's life experience. And, and having not been in this uh, you know, arena where I had to deal with that issue, I've often wondered though, what if that would have happened where the doctor said, okay, this is, we've tested the baby and this is what we, we, high probability that it is going to be, there's going to be real significant issues mentally or physically. Um, you have the option now to abort. Would you like to do that? That would be a very difficult thing. That would be a very difficult thing. Right. And, and what, you know, we, I never hear this as far as um, a discussion being out there, but there are a lot of mothers out there that had to face this very difficult decision uh, whether or not to keep the child through uh, unexpected pregnancy or to abort the child and uh, went on to carry the child full term, give birth, and whether they kept the child or gave it up for adoption, the child survived. I would love to have a pool of those women and say, of all of you that had it had a child, which of you wished you would have aborted? How many out of a thousand, out of 10,000, right? There's a lot of women that, that face this issue. And um, we've ne I've never heard that question even posed, right? Because can you imagine a mother saying, you know, the child's now 20 years old and I was, you know, 15, 16 when my boyfriend and I, you know, had sex in the back of the car. And now, um, I wish I would have aborted that child. I, I don't ever hear that. And maybe that's the untold story, maybe I'm naive to it, but I don't ever hear it. And I think it's because it doesn't exist. I think when life 
comes into existence, miracles happen, people change, and their their ability to love grows, and their uh, yeah their innocence is lost, but so is their naivete about what brings joy. I think um, what we're talking about here is when does the government have a say? When does the government have a say so to say because uh, when I was discussing this issue with my wife, uh, we I said I gave her a little rundown as to criminal law. I mean, the reason why we have laws, criminally criminal laws, our legislature puts those into place because the idea is that we don't want people going around doing this, that, or the other as a society. We just find that morally wrong. One of those examples would be murder, homicide. That's in our statutes. You can't kill another person. Um, there are other things like theft, burglary. So these are laws that we put into our criminal code so that it deters the possible person from doing those things, knowing that, man, if I if I go out and kill this guy, even though I don't like him, I probably will go to prison for yeah, the rest of my life. even if he's making your life miserable, right. right? Even if he torments you every day, you can't go out and kill him. So criminal laws are designed, in my understanding, and you can correct me if, you're, if I'm wrong, Sean, but our, our, our uh, criminal system is designed to deter the possibility of people wanting to commit a crime, knowing that if I do that, then I am going to go to jail or prison for a very long time, or I'm going to have to pay a lot of money in restitution. And so that's the idea of the criminal code, is to keep us as citizens accountable to each other. And usually these criminal laws are based on a moral compass that we as a general people have. That compass might be different in Arizona than in California, than in Connecticut. The the states enact their own state uh, criminal laws. And maybe in New Mexico, they don't think it's a big deal to kill a baby up until nine months. And that, so uh, to me, when I look at this issue, I'm thinking, number one, I think it's a state issue. I think the states need to determine, their people, their populace needs to, need to come up with laws that they're comfortable with. And if their moral compass is such that they allow for a baby to be killed up until nine months, that's on them. I'm going, and if I'm a, re- a citizen of, of uh, New Mexico, then I have the ability to get up and leave New Mexico to go to Arizona, where we believe, well, maybe it's at the heartbeat. Maybe heartbeat is when, after that point, we cannot abort a baby, save other reasons. That, I, I think, is a better issue um, to focus on, is to allow the states to determine the criminal al- criminality, and that's what Texas was trying to do in Roe v. Wade. And Mississippi. And Mississippi. Yeah, they combined. Oh, sorry, Texas. Sorry, and Roe v. Wade. we got to take a break here. Uh, we'll come back and continue the discussion. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. Have a question? Our phone lines are open. Call 344-5258. That's 344-KBLU. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the Decent Garner Law Firm. Welcome back, Yuma. This is Sean Garner. I'm in studio with Adam Hansen and Russ Clark. It is Memorial Day, and we're having a lively discussion about Roe v. Wade. And we're, we're talking about abortion, and we're talking about um, the ethics behind it. Um, when does a baby become a person. We're talking about the moral issue a little bit, but more 
we're discussing the law and how it should be made and what our Constitution calls for. Now, the, I think the big point that is made in Dobbs v. Jackson, and that is that uh, case where the draft was leaked, is that abortion is not a constitutional right. It is not written in the Constitution anywhere. It's not explicit or implicit in the Constitution. Therefore, it's the court's job to pull back from its overreaching authority, which it had been doing since 73, and saying that it is a constitutional right. It, it's saying, listen, it's not there in the Constitution. Now, there have been several things in the Constitution that have been um, written in to become constitutional rights. Um, some of those include the right to vote, right? Um, first of all, you, you didn't have the right to vote unless you were a white male 21 years or older. Then it became any race had the right to vote. And so you could not discriminate on basis of race. Then it also included women had the right to vote. So prior to, um, I believe it was the 19th Amendment that allowed women the right to vote, um, the, if a woman who was discriminated against on the basis of not being able to vote because of her sex brought a, a case to the Supreme Court and said, I have a constitutional right to representation by, by a vote, the court would have to hold, no, you do not. Should you? Possibly. But you don't have a constitutional right. We're reading the Constitution right here, and it specifically says males. And so what happened? We amended the Constitution, and that provided a constitutional right for women to vote. And then they amended again to allow 18-year-olds to have the right to vote. So if an 18-year-old prior to that said, hey, I have the right to be represented. You're sending me off to war, but I don't get a vote for who's president? That's not right. I have a constitutional right. They would say, no, you do not have a constitutional right. Should you? Do you have a just cause? Possibly. But you do not have a constitutional right. And that is what is being said in these cases. Women have a constitutional right for an abortion. And the court is saying, no, it, read the Constitution. It's not in there. Now, do you want one? Then go and follow the procedure to amend the Constitution. It doesn't mean you can't ever have one. The Constitution isn't written in concrete. It's difficult to amend, but go through the process. It's been amended 27 times. Well, the one time that included the Bill of Rights with the first 10 amendments. And uh, so go through the process. Have a convention with two-thirds of the states that bring that issue before both houses of Congress and get it passed by two-thirds of both houses of Congress and then ratified by three-quarters of the state. And there you go. You have a constitutional right. And once you did that, then you could say, I have a constitutional right for abortion, and the Supreme Court could say nothing about it because you would. The law would exist, and their only job is to interpret the law as it exists, not to make law. And that's the problem with Roe v. Wade, is that they actually said, this is a fundamental right under our Constitution. We're going to tuck it in there. It doesn't say it explicitly. Um, it's not expressly written in our Constitution. But what they did was they tucked it under the right to privacy, which is a, a fundamental right for all of us. And uh, that's what they used to get there, was the right to privacy. And I, I love that argument, Sean. And you're bringing up the points that were in the leaked opinion. 
from the from the uh, court and i think that's a great great way to look at it you don't even have to get in and that's what the court should have done originally i believe is get out of the moral issues because it's not the court's job to decide the moral issues that's up to the populace in that particular state like i mentioned before criminal laws are based on what we as the people decide to be morally abhorrent such that we want to criminalize or we want to punish those that that commit these crimes that we the people in our local jurisdictions have determined to be so bad that we want a person to go to jail for that to restrict their freedom and their their right and their pursuit to happiness right that's if i can't if i can't go over to your house sean and and um stick you in a room and and hold you there because of something you did then the government shouldn't be able to do that either that the government is just and we've talked about this before they're just an extension of us or they should be they're only allowed to do the things that we as a people could do to another person and i can't go to your house and lock you into a room for being a law-abiding citizen yes but if i go and commit violence against you or your family or somebody else in the community, then the community can lock me in a room. Right. And to prevent me from infringing upon your constitutional right to be free from harm, free from bodily harm, and and, and be able to, to exercise your liberty as you see fit. And I don't have time in my day, because I'm at work most of my day, or I'm with my family, I don't have time to do deal with that. So in in that act, acting as pro, proxy i would say is a police officer that is a government agent that we authorize to act on our behalf to do that type of stuff to grab a person that's uh, inflicting harm on me or my my family and then taking care of that issue so i can go about my daily business um but if i, I can't do it to a person then the policeman shouldn't be able to do it to a person to detain them and to take them into custody and uh, i think that's the overall picture of this abortion issue is the government shouldn't be inserting themselves into our lives yeah. and what deciding. is the role of the government exactly and that's what it all comes down to and we talk about that all the time on this show uh, what is the role of the, the proper role of the government right and um, in Roe v. Wade I believe the court they did legislate from the bench here and they created a fundamental right that wasn't already expressly written in the Constitution and that's what the court is trying to correct now what 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 gets me is in the media it says that 76 percent of people and and this is their argument for justifying um all of these protests that go beyond peaceful protests that are really harassing these judges these justices and uh they say well 76 percent of the people disagree with overruling roe v wade Okay, well, let's let's look at that then. If 76% of the people really do feel that Roe v. Wade ought to be a constitutional right, then go through the procedure that I just described to make it a constitutional right. Why are you insisting that five people in the court, because that's what all it takes to make a majority, is five people out of the nine justices, create a right uh, that would be imposed on the rest of the nation. Don't you want your freedom to vote on those rights? Don't you want the ability for democracy to work and your representatives to go out and, and practice this republic that's been established? Or do you want to push it back onto these five people and then 
coerce them to make the decision that whoever is the loudest, angriest, most violent mob is willing to coerce them to make. That That's not a good way to create national policy. Right. And... Uh Exactly. So it's what we call bullying, right? That's a big thing right now. <laughs> Online bullying, think, bullying in schools, uh, yeah. and that's uh, this is just like a hyperextension of of uh, bullying policy on a national level with mob mob driven uh, ideals to try and influence the United States Supreme Court. There is a term for it. It's mobocracy. Mobocracy, and uh, that is what we're experiencing right now. If the Supreme Court justices were to change their minds because of these protests, that would be mob rule. And that is a very scary thing to think about. They, they say that it's the end of our democracy if the Supreme Court does not recognize the constitutional right that's written nowhere in the Constitution and is not implied in the Constitution. And uh, I would say, no, you're completely wrong. If the mob is forcing the Supreme Court to recognize it, then the mob is running the country and not... Um, the the people through a democratic republic through voting means right yes we've got to go uh i hope you have a safe and a great uh, memorial day today and keep in mind why we are celebrating why you have the day off and uh, be safe out there and we'll talk to you next week if you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the Deason Garner Law Firm at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. 